0: Business, leadership, high performance, the journey. All right. Hey, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, My guest today is the CEO and founder of Rhodesmith Consulting and also the author of Intention, Building Capabilities to Transform Your Story. So he's worked with organizational leaders and individuals, including those from Nike, Sony, Netflix, and Bank of America, among many more, in uh, helping them build skills toward achieving their tomorrow and helping them master their intentions. So uh, without further ado, we're going to dive right into it today and talk about being intentional and really um, diving into capabilities, Um as far as an individual. So welcome to the show, Dr. Ian Brooks from Los Angeles.
1: Hey Patrick, thanks for having me here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I gotta tell you, I'll be super honest, I was looking through all of your information again last night and um, looking through your website and I told my wife, she asked me, well she asked me, she goes, hey, who's on your podcast tomorrow? Who are you recording with? And I said, oh, it's Dr. Ian Brooks. I said, it's a um, psychologist from Los Angeles. And I said, I got a feeling, I said, this is gonna be a pretty good conversation tomorrow. I said, this guy's stuff is pretty cool. So, so,
1: well, hey, hopefully, I can live up to that uh, that
2: expectation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no doubt, not worried about it one bit. So, let's start out right away, um, Ian. Just talking around the idea of intentions and being intentional. All right, so before we even dive into your journey, I really want to kind of set the tone for the audience listening of um, what, give me your definition of what are intentions, what does it truly mean to be intentional, because I think people hear that phrase, the word intentional, and everybody puts a little bit, uh, bit different spin to it.
2: Yeah,
1: you're absolutely correct, Patrick. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny when someone uh, believes that they're intentional, it, it does take on a different and various definitions. Um for me, in how I coach my clients as well as how I navigate my own life, intention is really a state of mind um, in really driving our actions and what is actually occurring. It's not only our actions, but it's also our mindset, mindset of what we think about, what we prioritize, and even what we pay attention to. Um, for me, intention is our ability to be conscious in a moment in time, to manage our thoughts feelings, and our actions towards a greater purpose. Now, that purpose may vary from person to person, moment to moment. But as we think about intention, it's really providing a a focus that otherwise is hidden through unconscious behavior. Um, Intention is something from a feeling,
0: emotion, and thought
1: that allows us to drive towards our expectations and even concentrate on what we're prioritizing in that moment.
0: All right. Yeah. I love how you bring up the idea of beliefs versus actions. You know, in, in doing one on one coaching with people in the past and now, I mean, I work primarily with businesses. You know, we talk so much about, you know, what are mm-hmm. your beliefs? What are your mindset? What are your values? You know, what's your focus? But ultimately, it comes down to action at the end of the day to really, you know, whether it's make progress as a person, whether it's to move your business forward. You know, and actually one of the phrases that that I use with companies um, as a certified EOS implementer is we always say vision without traction is hallucination. You know, you can have the best vision, the best mindset, the best beliefs in the world, but at the end of the day, it's action that either makes things or breaks things.
1: Uh, Yeah, I absolutely agree. I I use a very similar uh, analogy with my corporate clients as well, and I describe it as uh, a GPS without an address. Oh, I like that. It goes by a GPS. A GPS is useless without knowing your direction and your purpose. We can know and have an idea, but quite frankly, we have to have some level of where, what is our endpoint and what are we hoping to achieve along that journey? Realizing that that endpoint is nothing more than a milestone, but we still have to have the milestones in order for us to be effective a la a coach or change expert so we can help navigate the path.
0: Absolutely right. The Stephen Covey principle, begin yeah. with the end in mind, is, is one that I always, always stress with uh, the businesses yes. I work with. Mm-hmm. All right.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's definitely um, something to walk backwards from, so I absolutely agree with that.
0: Sweet. Okay, well, let's dive back into your journey, man. So growing up in Sterling, Virginia, correct?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, still, uh, still defined it as home, but now call called Los Angeles uh, my secondary home.
0: <laughs> so what, what kind of kid were you, Ian, growing up? What were, what were your interests? What was your family like? Um, give us some insight into who you really were.
1: Sure. You know, it, it's, uh, it's funny. My, my uh, growing up was really very purposeful and, and intentional. Um, growing up, uh, a, a family of five in Sterling um, was one of support, um, drive, determination, uh, judgment, judgment and perseverance, um, if I've described it in certain adjectives. Um, As a kid, I tended to be quiet. Um, I was just fearful of judgment. um, Didn't want to be too high on the spectrum of getting A's and, and that sort of thing and being seen because that afforded a level of judgment and expectation. I had no interest in entertaining because I had to be consistent with that all the time. And if I wasn't, that offered a certain level of judgment that I didn't want. The second part of that spectrum was at the very bottom. You didn't want to be too far at the bottom, right? That offered its own level of judgment (laughs) and attention that I didn't want, you know, having bad grades in school or otherwise. So for me, it was best served just to stay in the middle, just to be average, just to break even, not being too high on the spectrum, but also not being too low. Um, It actually afforded me an opportunity to actually come into my own of a career choice, more specifically of deciding to be a psychologist, whereby psychologists aren't out front, they're always in the background. You really never know what a psychologist's true opinion is other than offering a perspective on something else. Very rarely do they share much about themselves. So that idea of being a psychologist just fit into my nature (laughs) of interacting with others while at the same time managing my own fears, my, even my own judgments that were being associated with my own thoughts. And as such, it took me on one heck of a journey through college and even my career of working in the clinical psychology field, as well as getting into coaching that now has expanded me in a number of different ways um, and created some realizations around my early judgments, my own fears, and how do, how do I navigate them? not too different than what my clients go through in expanding who they are what they think and how they realize their own self-mastery
0: so so i want to unpack a little bit of that kind of going back I, i love how you mentioned the word judgment because man whether you're a kid whether you're an adult i think that is such a powerful concept that so many people are terribly fearful of you know and you mentioned as a kid you know the importance of staying in the middle of the pack, you kind of, you kind of stated, you know, you didn't want to really stick out one way or the other. And I think so many adults still approach their life like that of, you know, I don't want to be seen as the overachiever and I don't want to be the person at the bottom of the totem pole. I just want to blend in and be a wallflower. So uh, why, why do you, you know, why do you think that is, you know, cause I, you know, I was a former teacher, Ian, and I saw it in, you know, I saw the whole progression Mm -hmm. of kids you know as kids are young and you know they don't care about being judged they don't they don't worry about those things and then there's a stage in mm-hmm. life where people start to be concerned about that and it's usually you know that upper elementary that middle school you know the hormones and all that fun stuff um mm-hmm. but you know i and i know Go i'm ahead. jump jumping way ahead um kind of on topic here but why um man when it comes to adults why do you think adults kind of continue to stay in that rut or that pattern of that fear of judgment?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, I think it's a great place to start while you're jumping ahead, because as adults, we have theoretically um, have a stronger sense of self, but yet we're still held captive towards the behaviors and judgments and to the people in the decisions of which we made as children. So I know I, I talk about this in my book, Intention, quite a bit up front. Because one of the bigger challenges that I experience, not only myself, but also those of whom I coach, is that I'm often, often unpacking choices and decisions that were made, not in the, as an adult, but quite frankly, as children, as their perspectives of life. And in that context, the decisions that we make as children are, are, are seen through the eyes of a child, through that lens of safety, what is normal or quote unquote defined as normal? Where do I get rewarded versus where do I get punishment? What, um, how do I handle my own fear, my own visibility, my own truths, Of which for me, the idea of judgment was just so paralyzing where if I was successful, quite frankly, if I wasn't successful every single day, I was still get in trouble.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Right.
1: It's like, hey, keep doing this, keep doing this, keep doing this. Why didn't you do this? Live up to that expectation every single moment. That in and of itself is a weight of which, as a child, I did not want in any respect. I also knew I didn't want the weight associated with being at the bottom of that totem pole either because now that's, again, provided a, a separate sense of weight that I did not want. So as a child and as a kid growing up through elementary school um, uh, junior high school realized I didn't want any level of that attention because it carried with it a visibility that I didn't want. So in my mind, I had made a decision that I didn't want that. So how could I break even? So scholastically I was like, let me just get C's. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Let me just get C's. That way no one's going to blink. That's average. I'm good. I don't want to be seen. So I never was, I was very quiet most of the time, but I knew everybody most, most of the time, but I just, was quiet and I was just reserved in that respect. As I progressed on my own life and my own journey and path, that decision afforded me a chance to, to actually select careers and take a direction whereby I could go uh, get into a career like psychology, where I was not out front but always behind. It fit that decision I, I had met when I was a child. Additionally, it afforded me a chance to actually make decisions based on where I went to college as well as, as well as where I lived after college. So as an example, I didn't want to be singing, didn't want to be visible, didn't want judgment. People then have to know who I am. So in that respect, if I'm constantly changing, people really don't know who I am in that respect. But yet I'm going on my own journey, going on my own path. And with each stop, I was developing a perspective around myself that I was formulating without judgment from others who really knew me. But yet I was just picking up, not creating each space as um, a rental versus purchase. And it wasn't until, was not until I started writing my book, you know, some five, six years ago, where it really became to hit home for me, the world, the life, the perspective that had shaped me in a very, very good way. And it had served its purpose, but yet to be an author and even to to successfully run my business as a coach and as important as a solopreneur, I needed to change my perspective. And that was frightening. That was challenging the infrastructure of the people, places, things that had created safety and success for me in a number of different ways. But now I'm being challenged to now expand beyond the boxes I had created in order for me to be to become the person the coach and even the author that my clients my readers and even myself that I needed to be and it was it's been one heck of a journey that realization
0: yeah what 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 was what was or what were some of the big inspirations behind you know starting that book and writing that book because it seems almost like it seems kind of contrary to where your mindset was i mean once upon a time of not wanting to stick out and Just blend in and then boom, all of a sudden you find inspiration. You find that drive to really, I mean, man, writing a book is that's a that's a big undertaking. And that is something that can absolutely bring you to the forefront. Um, So what what were some of those inspirations or what were some of the happenings or the stops you kind of mentioned? Actually, was the word you used the stops along the way that really helped you grow to get to that point.
1: Yeah, and there's always stops uh, as, as with all changes, and as I'm sure you experience with your coaches, um, with any person, um, it's kind of like a highway. There's so many off ramps mm-hmm. <laughs> for us to get off fast. But what initially started, at introduced me to writing my book, started with just documenting where I saw some of the challenges that my coaches were experiencing, and those who were experiencing change. And it started as just me just taking notes and what were the common themes that I was hearing Um, because I wanted to make sure that I was leaving behind something for them that they could take and expand without necessarily me being there all the time while also identifying areas where they could actually improve themselves in the moment so we can address it up front. And so throughout that journey, when I first started writing the first portion of my book, in the first um, version of my book, it really was this documentation of the experiences that I was seeing in others. And when I was done with the first version of the book, um, it was an audio book, ironically. And given my nature of not wanting judgment, not wanting visibility. At the time, my editor was the only person to have read my book end-to-end. So when I stepped into the booth to actually read my book, number one, it was extremely frightening because I had never spoken into a mic before. Secondly, given that fear of judgment, the people um, who were supporting me, in this case the production team, would also be hearing my book and the words and the content I was laying out. And third. I didn't know if I had the right points available in the book. So I was still unsure about my own confidence in the material of which I had written. All of that played itself out from an emotional feeling of anxiety, fear, heart racing, and it was extremely scary. Um, I felt through the process of actually going through the recording, and it was only two days of recording, I felt defeated. I felt lost. I was judging myself in the moment, offering ridicule, offering immediate feedback, (laughs) both in the content I was writing, and it really bored itself out in actually what I was saying.
0: So it it sounds like...
1: Those two days were extremely tiring.
0: Yeah. So it it sounds like you hadn't truly read your own book before you wrote your book. Yeah. In a sense.
1: (laughs) That was truly it. Yeah, and that that was truly, truly the perspective at that moment. I wasn't, um, I was my psychologist self, not the author the book needed me to be. Mm -hmm. The psychologist self was protecting my clients, not really going into depth and sharing that for the whole world to read and see. Not going into my own history and background for protection, because that's not, how I grew up. It's not the profession I actually selected. And so I was actually in that booth and actually going through that, that experience in those two days, it became extremely apparent. Even more so when I actually listened to the 52 clips of the audiobook, where I was providing at that moment a coach's lens towards my own self. In listening to those 52 clips, and it took me a while to listen to each one, even though they weren't very long in time, it took me a long time to digest and get past my own thoughts and fears. And as you mentioned, I needed to become the person I was coaching in order for this book to succeed. And I had a choice at that moment. No one was going to ask me, did I write this book? No one would ask me. What happened? It was just going to be for me. So I could stop at any moment in time. But I knew if I wanted this book to be successful. One, I had to make a decision that, one, did I want to still write it? And then secondly, what was I willing to do? And in this case, was I willing to let go, to really honor my voice, my perspective, in a way that's authentic to me, but also in one that expands me beyond the boxes I had created from a safety perspective. And if I have to say yes to that, then let's rewrite this book in its entirety. And that's what I did. So I threw away everything that I had, wow. not necessarily literally throw away, but I started from scratch and rewrote the entire book mm-hmm. of which now has borne itself into intention.
0: That's awesome. I I want to come back to that, um, Ian, because I want to tie that into what you really do with your clients now, and really dive into. I mean, how you help people find intention and really build those capabilities. So bring us bring us back to. Mm-hmm. I mean, how how did you get to that point? I mean, you had been talking about you know in school as a mm-hmm. as a youngster, you were afraid of judgment. You kind of just wanted to fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get to the point of, I mean, becoming a psychologist and working with uh, the clients that you do?
1: Sure. Um, you know, I, as becoming a psychologist really fit into being just not being seen. Um, because I always cared. I cared about people's development, cared about people and who they are, what they do and how they do it, seeing them be successful and pushing beyond their limits. It just bore itself out from an alignment perspective to be a psychologist because it really lent itself to working with a very much a diverse group of individuals from adolescents all the way to adults so as i started my career in clinical psychology you know i was working with adolescents and doing intelligence testing and really being able to see who they are and what they do and what makes them them both from a his- history standpoint while also acknowledging you know, when I think about intelligence testing and personality testing and anal- now analyzing them and looking at them in the context of a moment in time and what they know and what they see and how that makes them them, unique individuals. That then drove me to getting my master's in clinical psychology and working with adults. At the time, I worked in a 24-hour lockdown ward for patients coming in directly off the street or off the street or coming in from jail, where they were actually in our ward for 14 days or supposed to be 14 days. And it's seeing how people who have a chemical imbalance, how they were navigating the world, how I was, when I was doing the individual coaching with them, as well as the group coaching and working with their families upon discharge around what life could look like and how to best support this individual. Coupling that with the children and that experience really established the foundation of awareness of the reasons people do what they do. Coupling those experiences and now expanding it to working with adults from an experience of not because of a chemical imbalance, because the individuals of whom I work with now are already successful. They're now looking to expand. Mm -hmm. They're now looking to do something else. Now that's about choice based off of a want, whereas the adults I was working with in the ward were about a need. But what was always true was that everybody was trying to be better.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so that alignment of behavior and expectation was always consistent. And the foundations of which I write about in my book, as well as what I experienced myself, starts with a one of, discovery but also understanding who we are as individuals and providing authenticity and acknowledgement of that not as a judgment but a way to say yes yes as in it's an expansion not yes as it is a place of where i live for the rest of my life and now how does that influence us from a behavior to do something else in the future and that's really what established my foundation from a psychologist in that ward from the clinical side and now extending to working with air quote, higher functioning individuals in the corporate space or individuals in our day-to-day to do something else and be better.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I know, I know you haven't always worked with individuals at, like you said, a high level like this. Once upon a time, you were a bartender. I know you had mentioned. Um, are you a certi- Is there a bartender certification or something that you that you have?
1: Uh, yeah, there is a there is a bartending certification that you that you can get, um, and that certification is not because you attended the bar, uh, <laughs> you know, 100 days in a row and tested every drink. <laughs> But there, I did go through a bartending certification certification course uh, that was a, a truly uh, expansive and a lot of fun. But also led itself to what other places people can get uh, therapy. No um, the oh, better yeah. place than at the end of a bottle and in a bar.
0: <laughs> yeah, my my producer Spencer and I were yeah. talking before the episode here about bartending, and we said how much fun bartending can be because the connection that you make with people and such. So. I know there were some. You mentioned that there were some insights that you really took from bartending. Um, walk us through some of those.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah, bartending is, um, you know, for you know, as as uh, you and your producer were talking about, um, and one thing that I always take away from bartending, and that is building that connection, as you mentioned. It's something that we, you know, when we think about people of whom, whom we talk to, we talk to our barbers, hairdressers, and bartenders, and anyone else who might listen. You know, as I as I apply bartending to the idea of change, it really comes down to several things that I took away. The first thing was, one, consolidating our movements. Um, one of the chief responsibilities of any good bartender is to make sure that we know where the alcohol is or the juices or anything that we might be using. We know where that is ahead of time. that we can make drinks in a more efficient manner Um, obviously bartenders or any business in in that hospitality area is built off of the money that's generated from people coming in while also that bartender makes money off of tips so the more drinks you can make um, the more tips you'll get so in that respect we um, consolidating our movement is extremely important and acknowledge Acknowledgement of where is all the liquor so I can make the drinks as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Um, There's no wasted time because Mm -hmm. that translates into dollars and then cents. Now, that translates into change and being intentional. We're not wasting time. We're not wasting our movements. We're not wasting what we think about. We acknowledge and we move forward. We take away some of our noise. That means that as we're moving forward, that means letting go of something else, not necessarily holding on. That means expanding what we think and feel. And as such, as we're going through the change experience, acknowledging where we can consolidate our movement becomes extremely, extremely important because the more times that we are wasting our movement and our efforts, the more likely it's going to take us, one, longer to get to where we need to be as well as it's going to take us longer um, to waste our time and energy. And we're going to potentially fall back to our tried and true areas that create comfort rather than true need. So that's one, one of the, one of the key takeaways that I took away from, from bartending. I think the other, you know, one of the things that I think about bartending as well is that we, it's one of the, things that we often need to make sure that we're thinking about is where are we testing things out and how are we using our time? And so from a bartending piece, one of the things that I learned was making the cheap mistake. So from a bartending perspective, as we're making drinks, if we have a liquor and a juice, you always want to pour your juice first. Reason being, if you overpour on your juice, you can throw that out. Versus if you pour your liquor first, while if you overpour on liquor, and that might be good for your, your, uh, your patrons who want more liquor, um, that alters your drink. It alters the taste. And so oftentimes you'd have to throw that out or try to readjust the drink real time. But you can save yourself that time by making the cheap mistake by first pouring the juice. Again, if we overpour on liquor, that costs to the restaurant or cost to the bar. Mm -hmm. Again, good for patrons, not necessarily good for the structure. Now, how does that translate into the validation of change? Well, we need to make our own cheap mistakes. Where can we actually go and test out our new behaviors? Where it's, what's the risk of failure? What's the risk of doing something new? I'm not to do it all, but where can I identify situations throughout my week, throughout my day? to actually test out these new things, test out how I'm feeling, test out what I'm thinking, test out my own actions. This affords us to build confidence around what we're doing. It allows us to build a foundation, not to do it all at once, but to build. Build consistency. Because one of the challenges that I experience or see even in my clients is that they want to do everything at once.
2: Mm -hmm, It's like, oh,
1: if I just change this one thing, let's go, (laughs) right? It's, um, let me just get to the end. I see the end point. I know the plan. It's time to work the path. The path is going to be the path. (laughs) Just work the plan. In that plan, making cheap mistakes and building and creating additional situations throughout. So we're not doing everything at once. Mm -hmm. Makes it more likely that, one, you will sustain it, but you'll also build your confidence as well.
0: So, so question for you, Ian. Why, why do you think so many people yeah. struggle with that? You know, people because people do. People really struggle with being intentional. Mm-hmm. They don't. I don't think they take the. Mm-hmm. They don't run with the concept of testing behaviors. And like you said, it builds confidence, which I a 110 percent agree with. You know, mm-hmm. is it is it just the fast paced lifestyle that we live? We're buried in our phones. We're constantly trying to achieve more by packing in more rather than stripping things away. Um, What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, I think it's a combination of all those things. Um, We're built on end results, the ROI. And if we can't see it, we can't judge it. Thus, it's always a, let's just get to an end. Let's just get to this end point. Like, yes, I lost the five pounds. You can see I lost the five pounds. Um, We are, going directly to that end result. It also forces us to be vulnerable when we have to take a step back, when we have to slow down and build that foundation and that infrastructure. We want to believe that this change is the only thing that we need to make. Thus, taking things in a slow, methodical, consistent way from a cheap mistake perspective forces us to have to keep thinking about the change every single day that creates additional vulnerability for us.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: We're treating oftentimes the change as an end result versus a true integration to our life. And as we treat it for an, an, uh, an end result, we just rush to get to that end point, that finish line whereby from an intention perspective, we're now looking at it from an integration into your life. So you're doing this every day, but with any change and anything we have to think about every single day, it becomes tiring. It, we're looking at it in a context of I'm being reminded that I'm not good. I'm being reminded that I'm struggling in a certain area. Mm-hmm. It affords me a chance to um, go back and say, you know what, I'm done. i put in enough effort. Or you need to give yourself uh, a break or take yourself off the hook, if you will, in certain ways to say, oh, I just did enough. Instead of losing the five pounds, I lost one. I did all this great work this week or the last two weeks. I, I'm, I'm good.
0: Yeah, rather than really embracing that. that,
1: In those moments.
0: Yeah, really. Then, rather than embracing that challenge, you know, and being and being mindful of it, you're saying.
1: Absolutely, being mindful of it, and it's about our own vulnerability. It's uh, it's offering our own judgment to ourselves that others have around us as well, because we just want to get done. Yep. So where, and that's why I think most people, a lot of people struggle.
0: Yep. So, so question, where does, I mean, where do people start with that? Because I think it is so hard to be mindful, especially of man, you know, kind of backing up actually on that statement. I think so many people Ian struggle with, what are their values? What's important to them? I don't think they've identified those things, first of all, to begin with, but then to be mindful of what they truly want and having clarity around that, and then constantly battering your own ego to keep it on top of mind of what you're constantly working on, constantly trying to improve is so, so difficult. It's such a hard concept for people to be really mindful and intentional about the things that are truly, truly important to them. So where where does somebody start with those things?
1: Sure. Um, I think the first thing is awareness, um, and more specifically, the awareness of what we struggle with is oftentimes the end result. It's the, it's the five pounds we're struggling with, versus if we focus on capabilities in our behaviors, a la living a healthy lifestyle of how do we shop, how do we exercise, how much sleep do we get, you know, how much water do we drink, et cetera. It's, it's understanding the foundation and the fabric, So getting started realizes and acknowledges that where are we starting from? Oftentimes when we talk about change, we're doing it based off of a need.
2: Mm -hmm. based
1: off of fear, based off of I'm already five pounds overweight. When you're running in that context of fear, quite honestly, you're just going to go directly to a solve versus empowering ourselves to say, yes, I may need to lose five pounds, but let's set the foundation because the five pounds we can get done in a week, right? <laughs> a little liposuction, whatever, depending upon what you're willing to do. When we're talking about intention, we're talking about it from a place of empowerment, one of self-mastery and building foundations of our own behaviors around, that align to our priorities, that align to who we want to be and become versus solely an, an outcome for a moment in time. Yep. So as we start, I start my clients off with the discovery. I start off with discovery and that discovery focuses on what is really your priority? Who are you? What are you looking to solve? What are you hoping to achieve? Because in that moment, you, we're uncovering the fabric of who people are experiencing themselves to be and wanting to achieve and through that discovery. And I'll just take the five sounds as an example, or I'll say five sounds as an example. It could be you want to lose five pounds, that's great. Now, what are you now willing to do? What is built into your fabric of who you are, of the reason for that five pounds? Is it to go to your high school reunion? Is it to fit into that dress? Is it because the doctor said so? What is that driving motivation? And once we understand that, we can start to uncover and discover what are some of the levers that are pulling you in that direction? So that now we can align it to behaviors and capabilities that are lasting rather than an isolated event. That then is lines to the second part I focus on with my clients, and that is personal discovery and the principle of you. Just because we want something, just because I don't know who my values are, now we can start a understanding and recovering of who you are as a person, how you got to where you are. That, for me, comes in the context of, what decisions have you made up to this point around who you are? And I define them in our, as improving our stories through our characters. Like I am a, and a character isn't a brother or a sibling or, or a doctor. And those are titles bestowed us. Um, our characters are really a Mr. Know-it-all. Or I'm Mr. Bobblehead because I'm always back and forth. Um, but Mr. You know it all because I need a degree for everything, <laughs> right? Points of validation. Because who we are is going to show up in that transformational process. You align that with how we've established our environment. So as you, uh, as I described earlier around my own journey of establishing success and failure based off of the environment of my people, places, and things to keep me safe, that will influence who I am the values I keep, it'll tell my story and also align to how much effort it's going to take for me to actually change and reach that priority that we just discovered and acknowledge or even enact those behaviors in building our capabilities before we start any level of change from an action perspective.
0: Yeah, I I want to go back to, man, two Two huge points that you brought up, Ian, about two minutes ago. Number one was identifying what your real true motivator is. I think is so 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 important and where so many people miss out because they they focus on the superficial reason for all these things that they wanted accomplish or do in their life, and they don't really understand the true deep motivators behind them because there's always something much, much deeper than, oh, I want to lose 10 pounds, you know? Oh, well, why is it, you know? And I think you mentioned something like, oh, a class reunion or something like that. Well, that's not the motivator. The motivator is probably something around deep, deep um, self-confidence that you're really lacking or looking for or something like that. And then the second point you brought up that I really want to bring attention to is truly knowing who you are. And so many people Mm -hmm. keep writing the same story over in their head and they just begin to believe it, and they've believed it for years, they've believed it for decades, and they don't realize the power of when you start to change your story, your own story about who you are, you're actually going to begin to change who you truly are.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It starts from our own belief in our thoughts. And it does not mean that our historical beliefs and thoughts and are wrong. We are already good enough as is we're now making a choice to do something different. By extension, by doing something different, it's telling us that we probably or may have to let other things go that we were successful at before. I know that's one of my bigger challenges through my conversations with the leaders and people of whom I work with from a coaching standpoint because they're already successful. They've already done and built habits around that success. And thus the expansion is just adding another wing onto the house. (laughs)
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yet, sometimes we have to let go of that wall. We have to let go of something. But we have to understand who we are. And in that who we are, it's about having our own confidence and trust and capabilities to move forward. And I, in that, if we don't, we're just adding on. And that sometimes can present a struggle and a challenge because we're trying to hold on to so much
0: mm-hmm.
1: of our own story of what, what's safe and comfortable. So sometimes you have to let that go and trust.
0: Yeah, I, I want to run an idea by you here. When you you when you mentioned um you know I think you mentioned confidence a minute ago. Do you think some people struggle with the idea because I was actually reading on this a while back, struggle with the concept of almost they create a a false confidence or kind of a false um, intention in their life because outside perspective, outside influences, outside people praise them for something that they've maybe been successful in or good at. And then that person kind of goes down that Avenue and they chase it. And then they eventually hit a dead end realizing like, hold on, this isn't really what I want to be intentional about. Do you see, do you see clients that you work with go down that Avenue of where they create that fault, those false intentions and confidence sometimes?
1: Um, I, Absolutely, um, and I and I just pause for a moment because it could have been the right intention for the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, true. But
1: your intention can change and evolve, so it could have been right it took you down a path, and, and said, "Yes, it was right for that moment in time." But so, we can always change.
2: Yeah. So, say, okay,
1: now I have to go back and recreate new intentions.
0: Yeah. So how do, how does one redirect then? How does I mean? How do you redirect? A identify that you need to redirect, hmm. and then B actually do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the first uh, to your first question, when someone is in that moment and says, oh, this isn't right for me, or this doesn't feel comfortable, or this this doesn't feel right, you've then already identified it at that moment. Mm -hmm. Because it comes from the self. It comes from what you think and feel. It can't come from anyone else. It can't come from anything else. Those other things and those people and those places, they just represent a reinforcement of what that intention is. So that's the first thing. It's just being conscious of what you're thinking and feeling, being conscious of now I'm being pushed and identifying where am I getting the resistance? Am I trying to stay back in that same box that I've always been successful in and comfortable in? If that's the case, that's perfectly fine. But let's also be clear, that's not expansion.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not so growth.
1: that acknowledgement is extremely important. This, yeah, um, And then the second piece, how do you now take that and what do you do with it? Once you acknowledge it, it's now looking at who you are going back to our, as I mentioned, our characters and what intentions of my actions have built up this direction of where I am now and how do they support me going forward in this new direction or path? And do they serve a purpose? If they don't serve the purpose, going back to making the, you know, uh, consolidating our movements and achieving mistakes, we can start removing some of those actions and those beliefs and replacing them with the beliefs and actions that actually support where we're trying to go. Now, obviously, if we think about our intentions and the things that we've built up in our lives, you know, being intentional means we're also being very conscious about what we're doing. But yet, if we think about our lives in totality, the majority of our, our days and lives are made up of unconscious biased decisions, right? Things we just do out of habit, a la taking showers, tying our shoes. Things of that narrative and bridal, we just do it unconsciously. We don't really think about it. But yet, when we're actually going and taking new intentions on our behaviors, now we're putting that to the forefront. Thus, we're looking at our lives and analyzing it and putting it into a perspective that is more conscious. And we're now peeling back some of the other old behaviors and now putting new ones in there. In fact, we're putting new behaviors and actions and thoughts to the forefront – realizing in those moments of downtime, we're always going to be trying to, our, our unconscious beliefs are going to draw us back to where we originally were. Because again, we were already successful. It's already comfortable. We already know what we're getting. It's in those moments. That's when we start to changing, change our behavior. In those moments, that's when we start to change our thinking when we're more conscious about it. And again, it's never perfect. It's not foolproof. It's a function of in those moments when we find ourselves being drawn right back to me, judging myself or Going back to my psychologist mode, it's a moment of opportunity to say, one, I recognize it. Secondly, I acknowledge my thoughts and feelings and saying, yes, they were right. There's nothing wrong with that, that thinking. But when we're done thinking this to myself or acting in this way, now what do I want to do moving forward to be take one more step closer to being the person I want to be, to being better, to sharing more, to being and expanding beyond the box I previously previously was in. And that takes being conscious and doing that deliberately in the moment, in each day, in each month, et cetera. Mm
0: -hmm. I love it. You bring up some fantastic questions for people to ask themselves every single day. So what, um, Ian, what's, what's the next big thing you have on tap? Yeah.
1: Um, quite a, you know, the number of things that are on tap, um, I'm actually uh, continuing to launch my, group coaching practice um, so it's now expanding to doing it a lot more um, each each month so it actually occurs um, you know over a course of about six weeks and meeting with a group of four individuals in um, small pockets um, I've been testing it out over the last uh, year um, and COVID has been ripe for that so it's been a great opportunity to expand expand it in a little bit more intentional uh, format and both uh, here domestically, as well as internationally. Um, I'm also working on a, an additional book um, for intention targeting adolescents and youth. Um, given my previous experience there, um, I'm recognizing some of the early questions that are being drawn based off of living purposeful lives, creating that authenticity in that voice, especially as kids are jumping directly into the workplace a lot uh, faster, uh, on a more consistent basis, and uh finally um, going through an audiobook, another audiobook process to test myself again <laughs> <laughs> for my own personal growth and execution.
0: love it if you aren't growing, you're dying man right
1: yes yeah, that, that that's that's it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, awesome. Well, Ian, you bring up, uh, man, some great points today around just the importance of being intentional and, man, really finding direction and um, and what it really takes to stop, slow down in life, focus on what is important to you and, and what you really truly want. So uh, where can our listeners find you and follow you, Ian?
1: Yeah, I can be found at uh, com. That's dot com. Um, there, they can find this uh, podcast, as well as uh, reviews of my book, as well as access to some of the upcoming uh, group coaching that's actually taking place, as well as uh, some other feedback. Um, I can also be found um, on Twitter, as well as Instagram, at Dr. B underscore intention.
0: Awesome. All right. Absolutely. Uh, everybody check check that out. Again, that was roadsmith.com. Um That will be in the show notes as well. Um, Check them out on all those social media pages also. So, uh, Dr. Ian, thanks for hanging with us today, man. Appreciate it.
1: No, thank you, Patrick. Pleasure chatting with you today.
0: Absolutely. So, everybody with that, uh, don't forget to follow the show uh, and myself on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Thanks so much for listening, uh, tuning into this episode around uh, being intentional uh, with Dr. Ian Brooks. So be sure to subscribe to Rate the Podcast. Uh, Again, show notes, like I said, you can find those uh, on the podcast page at patrick-metzger.com and uh, take a screenshot of today's show, share it with somebody, tag Dr. Ian, myself in it. Um, Everybody, every single person listening this, man, we can all be way more intentional with what we really want out of life, what's important to us and and how to go get it. So uh, until next time, everybody, I want to remind you to own you and the journey.